Hey everyone, Josh here. And before we get started with this episode of the Kind of Funny Up and Comer podcast, I wanted to give you some important information. At the time of recording this episode, there was not a confirmed date for the next Cozina for Kind of Funny Direct. Though, before posting this podcast, I was informed that a date has been decided on. The next Cozina for Kind of Funny Direct will be streamed March 19th, 2020, 6 p.m. Pacific Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on twitch.tv slash Live. Once again, that is twitch.tv slash Live, March 19th, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, for the second ever Cozina for Kind of Funny Direct. All right, that's all I have. Let's get started with the show. What's up, everybody? My name is Josh Biddick, and I am a Kinda Funny best friend. And right now, Kinda Funny is doing their up-and-comer program where they have you best friends vote on someone in the community you think is deserving to be an up-and-comer, where they go out to Kinda Funny and work with the group for a week, kind of get to see behind the scenes. They get to learn all the wonderful experiences that Kinda Funny has benefited from over the last few years. Right now, I am sitting down with one such up-and-comer prospect. You may know him from the social media trend that is sweeping the Nation, Cozina for Kind of Funny. Alex Cozina. Alex, how the hell are you doing? Uh, I'm doing very well today. Thank you, Josh. Fantastic. Good to hear. Good to hear. I'm glad we finally got to sit down. I know we talked about this a little bit ago, so getting it in the books is going to feel really, really good. I I mean, I, I'm going to say right now, I have no clue what it is that I'm going into with this, and I'm trusting in you to be able to carry me the whole way through. You got you, my friend. I will get you where we need to be going. Uh, so Alex, uh, one thing I really want to do with this podcast is kind of get people to know the people behind the up and comer prospect. Uh, I think you have done a phenomenal job with your campaigns. Uh, one big thing I want to talk about, uh, as we kind of talk about the pitch for you would be your kind of funny direct that you did, uh, the direct for yourself. Uh, do you want to give us a little talk about that? Like what was the kind of decision and process you went into, uh, doing that? Yeah. So last year, uh, I had ambitions to appear on Kind of Funny Games Daily as just a guest because Greg was very upfront about the fact that, hey, uh, I'm having people on Kind of Funny Games Daily who are like smaller up and coming streamers and mm -hmm. content creators and the like. And I'm like, well, I feel like I fit into that bill very neatly. And initially yeah. I thought I would create a video going over everything about me that makes me, I believe, qualified to be on Kind of Funny Games Daily. Uh, and mm -hmm. then that got shelved when I happened to meet up with Greg at the Canadian National Exhibition. Um, the okay. Canadian National Exhibition is an event that is held in Toronto every year. Uh, and if you recall, last year, um, Greg and Nick, uh, no, it wasn't Greg and Nick. I believe it was Greg, Tim and Andy all yeah. basically said, hey, we're going to go down to the Canadian National Exhibition because they're having this gaming event there called the Canadian National Exhibition Gaming Garage, mm -hmm. and they want us to uh, come on down. Uh, and so they did that, and I spoke with Greg personally about it, like, hey, you know, could I come on Games Daily? And he's like, yeah, just send me an email. And when I heard that, I'm like, oh, well, I guess I don't have to do like a big video advertising why I should come on. <laughs> right. But by that point in time, I'd already written out like a kind of rudimentary script of what I would have wanted the video to be. So I shelved the script uh, and then 2020 came around and they announced, hey, we're doing the up and comer opportunity. Uh, mm -hmm. I was very interested in starting to produce content for the up and comer opportunity and highlight my desire to be the next up and comer. Um, I got sidetracked by a bunch of other projects uh, and other things mm -hmm. that I do on a daily basis, which I imagine we'll get into later in the podcast. And, yeah, and 
I held off in, in, until uh, Kind of Funny hosted their second 12-hour live stream for the month of January, uh, where at the front of it, they kind of briefly touched on what they want out of the up-and-comer opportunity. And they said two things that were of considerable interest to me. The first thing that they said is, hey, we're going to be pushing back the nomination process until May. Like, whereas mm. in 2019, we opened it up right away in February. This year around, right. it's happening later in the year. So I'm like, okay, good. That gives me time to work on my nomination. And the second thing they said is we want to kind of like stagger it out over the next few months. We want people who want to be the next up-and-comer to have to basically, you know, throw a campaign and divulge content in pieces. And at least that's mm -hmm. how I understood it. And after considering that, I'm like, okay, so I have this rudimentary script I was going to write last year to get myself in kind of funny games daily. How can I kind of take that and modernize it and, you know, turn it into this like something really exciting for my up-and-comer campaign? And I was mm. trying to, you know, looking to, you know, other videos and other content online uh, to draw inspiration from. And, you know, obviously I looked at what some of the other up and comers were doing. And, you know, I've seen, you know, music videos and these, you know, fun off the cuff uh, discussions about themselves and what kind of right. shows they would want to bring. And I'm like, you know, I, I consider myself as, you know, I like to make fun kind of kooky videos, but I also consider myself a little bit more formal-ish. So I want to create something mm -hmm. that's a little bit, uh, that kind of reflects that. And after giving it some thought, I'm like, you know what? How about, what if I did like a like a Nintendo Direct style presentation? You know what? I, right. I started this hashtag, Kazina for Kind of Funny Direct. What if I hosted the first ever Kazina for Kind of Funny Direct? Uh, and then kind of one thing led to another. I uh, purchased a green screen, which you can see in back of me for mm -hmm. a relatively cheap amount of money. And I produced the first ever Casino for Kind of Funny Direct. I thought I thought you did a phenomenal job with it. I thought it was a really well-produced video, the graphics, the style. I also loved, and I wanted to ask you about this, I felt like your performance was very uh, Reggie-like. Was that the goal there? I mean, it... I, I, I wasn't intentionally necessarily trying to copy Reggie, but I was definitely trying to kind of emulate the overall kind of, you know, more like dry style of like, you know, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Nintendo Direct. In today's mm -hmm. presentation, we're going to be going over all of the Nintendo games that you're going to enjoy over the course of the rest of 2019. Right. Like I very kind of buttoned up, so to speak. That was that, that part at least was intentional. The, the Reggie comparison, mm -hmm. I didn't wasn't actively thinking about, but I suppose that makes sense. Well, I felt like from from a viewing standpoint, I thought you did a phenomenal job with the delivery. Everything was really well written. Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen the video, I know it kind of talks about you. And it's some stuff I want to cover primarily that you covered in your pitch video. Uh, so, Alex. Can you want to touch on your history with Kind of Funny a little bit? I know you've mentioned talking with Greg uh, and in your video, but how have you become a best friend? Yeah, so I've been a fan of Greg and company since the Beyond days. I got into mm -hmm. Podcast Beyond, not at the very start of Podcast Beyond, but more like, I'd say in like 2011, 2010-ish, around when mm -hmm. I would say Podcast Beyond started to, I would say, like no, no disrespect to the years leading up to that, but I feel like that's kind of like, when the golden age of Podcast Beyond began. Uh, Fair. And my, the first event that I ever got to go to uh, that was Podcast Beyond related was Podcast Beyond uh, 300, which I included a brief mm -hmm. clip of inside the Direct. Uh, and that was obviously a really kind of special experience. Uh, also, uh, kind of a weird experience for me because I was still like, I was 
of age in the province of Quebec where I live to drink alcohol, but I was gotcha. not of age in California. So mm -hmm. I couldn't go to some like the extra additional events that were happening around uh, right. that event, but I still um, enjoyed myself a fair bit. Uh, and then, you know, when the crew made the jump to become kind of funny, I followed them and I wasn't able to make it to Kind of Funny Live 1 because it was mm -hmm. deep in the middle of school and stuff, but I made it to right. Kind of Funny Live 2 and Kind of Funny Prom. Uh, and it was really, I mean, I, I was making little things here and there on the side for the community to enjoy throughout the years, but it was really in 2019 and uh, also a bit in 2018 where I really started to kind of step up and be like, you know what, let's make some cool stuff for that I think fans and the hosts would <laughs> find funny. So mm -hmm. I created the um kind of funny wikis and um so the way that this uh first came into being was kind of a it's a weird funny story mm -hmm. i'm somebody where if i'm ever about to talk to somebody especially if there's somebody who's of you know significant importance or famous i always feel it necessary to really have something super like you know deep or meaningful to say you know understandably because sure. you don't want to be wasting your time and so this is in i was in in the middle of kind of funny prom and one of the mm -hmm. things about Kind of Funny Problem is that the hosts were kind of like wandering the show floor, talking with people. It was designed to be more like an intimate affair in that regard. Uh, and right. I wanted to go and speak to Nick. I don't, I, I, I shook his hand at like Kind of Funny Live too. This is my first time really speaking to him. Uh, like more of a one-on-one -on -one kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And I'm like, I, mm -hmm. I need to say something, you know, really meaningful to him. I need to make my conversation with him really worthwhile. And I thought about it and I'm like, what if I tell him, hey, Nick, I'm going to make you, uh, 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 how about a, a wiki, Nick Scarpedia, the official Nick Scarpino wiki. He's like, mm -hmm. great, I love it. And then I'm assuming he probably forgot about it, but that's fine. Uh, and then a few months later, I delivered. I uh, sent in a tip to kind of funny, uh, the, the show that they used to have before they segmented up all their morning shows, the kind of funny morning mm -hmm. show. And I'm like, hey, I created Nick Scarpedia. And they actually saw it on the show. And then I believe that shortly after that, um, Nick and uh, Greg went down to Canada and appeared okay. at the Canadian, not the Canadian National Exhibition. This is at the EGLX, the Enthusiast Gaming Live Expo. Uh, this okay. is their first time like visiting, uh, not their first time ever visiting Toronto, but like uh, in that fashion is part of kind of funny. And I met up with Nick and I'm like, hey, uh, you know, what do I do next? And, and we kind of talked about it and we decided, Hey, it's time for me to do Kevin Coelopedia. Okay. Uh, and then from there, uh, Greg Millerpedia, which was mm -hmm. one of the, all about Greg Miller and Andy Cortezedia, uh, followed next. Uh, and so that was like, the, that's been like the first half of my major, uh, kind of funny led projects. Uh, the mm -hmm. other half have been the video games I produced for, uh, KFAF. Um, right. So, you know, I over time, we've seen the kind of submissions for KFAF become really, really elaborate and really, really high quality. Mm -hmm. And I was looking for uh, some sort of outlet to create something that was unlike anything anyone else was doing, because I knew I couldn't compete with some of these like super highly produced, you know, videos. I'm not like a video editor by trade. Uh, but I am a game designer kind of by trade. I, uh, okay. my degree in university was actually a, it's not, it was not a called call a game design degree, but it basically was a game design degree. Uh, mm -hmm. and so I'm like, I'm going to make quick, you know, we, uh, video games in a week based around these themes. And so 
I believe the first uh, time I decided to do this, uh, there was an Avengers. Uh, the, the theme of the week was Avengers, uh, but I okay. submitted the game kind of late, and so it ended up not being seen. Uh, I was a little bit disappointed, but I'm like, whatever, I'm going to try again. And so a few weeks later, the theme was Disney movies, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to make a game called uh, Kind of Funny Presents Bambi 3, The Revenge of Bambi's Mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is the first of these video games that you see displayed in the video. Uh, right. And then after that, I made um, a game about uh, based around Metal Gear Solid 3 uh, called Pop-Tart Eater, in which it's like Andy Cortez throwing burnt Pop-Tarts at Kevin and Nick, uh, because mm-hmm. I was like, there was like an episode where they talked about Andy loving Pop-Tarts and how they're burnt or something like that. I forget at this point. I think it was that they had bought a bunch of Pop-Tarts for KFAF, but Andy kept burning them in the Pop-Tart, like yeah, in the toaster throughout that week, so that, everything just smelled like burnt Pop-Tarts. That, that sounds right. Uh, and then there was a game I did about, um, basically, it, it was a week where uh, Greg Miller lost his E3 badge. No, he didn't lose okay. his E3 badge. He so Basically, his access to E3 was revoked because there, were, there was a claim that somebody uh, that had used his E3 badge irresponsibly if I recall mm. correctly. And so I just did this weird game where it's like Simon Belmont steals Greg's E3 badge and then <laughs> uses it to whip enemies at E3. Uh, that that was kind of a, I would say, I, I mean, I'm all, I'm proud of all these games. That was probably one of the proudest one because it, it's like so like out there and so <laughs> I feel unpredictable compared to, I feel like some of the other uh, games that I created. Like I don't feel mm-hmm. like in a million years, even I myself could have thought of that had I not had the sudden inkling come to me. Uh, and the perfect moment opportunity that you jumped on and, and then enhanced the joke with your uh, unique set of skills. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then there was one more game that I made. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Greg, uh, sorry, uh, Andy and Nick land on the moon, which is a moon, man, moon landing game, but where you have to mm. avoid uh, rocks thrown by an alien Kevin. Uh, and I, Fantastic. By, by the way, I do want to mention very quickly and importantly that uh, the moon landing game uh, the Simon Belmont game and the Metal Gear Solid game, uh, most of the graphics in them were actually produced by uh, Kind of Funny fan Matt Ferguson. Uh, okay. If, if you watch Kind of Funny, uh, sorry, KFAF, uh, you may know him as the guy who always draws like incredible illustrations that get sent into the Photoshop challenge. Uh, mm-hmm. I decided to hit him up because I, I believe after I produced, um, I don't remember what video game it was, but... I produced one of them and basically the crew was like, hey, you know, you should collaborate with um, Matt Ferguson. You know, maybe you can create something truly special with him. And mm-hmm. so I did. And I think that the, you know, <laughs> graphics that he made for those three games really improved uh, my output. I think that's fantastic. And I think even even what you mentioned right there is just a perfect testament to the kind of funny community as a whole, right? Like, Two fantastic people making wonderful things for KFAF, then collaborate together just to make something even greater. Uh, I think that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Well, of course. Uh, so you've obviously, or excuse me, so you obviously have a pretty prolific career with, with games, uh, and I know you're a writer for the YouTube channel Gamers, is that correct? Uh, correct. Fantastic. So how did, how did that come out to be? Was that kind of while you were starting content creation in 2019, like you were saying, or had that happened way later or way earlier? So um, quickly, before we start, I just want to mention uh, the YouTube channel is pronounced gamers. It's spelt G-V-M-E-R-S. Mm-hmm. Um, the, basically what we do is we stylize the V so that we flip it upside down so it looks like an A, hence 
how you would mm-hmm. arrive at gamers. Um, gotcha. So basically, uh, the year was uh, late 2017. I was still in university in my uh, pseudo game design degree. And mm-hmm. basically, I got reached out to by this guy uh, called Eilert. Uh, uh, and Eilert was like, hey, um, you know, I've noticed that you've done some writing stuff here and there on the internet. How would you like to write for my YouTube channel? Prior to that point, I had written some stuff here and there on a blog online. And I had mm-hmm. also, um, so there was this other website uh, that existed very briefly, uh, a blog run, ran by a couple of kind of funny best friends uh called pardon the gamer that had written some content for as well uh and basically he saw those two things and he's like hey would you like to write for the ctube channel and we kind of got talking and i'm like cool how about you know i I like metal gear solid i was playing through the series recently how about i write a video about a history of cancelled metal gear solid games and ideas and that ended up being the first video that i wrote for gamers and from there it just escalated into me writing documentaries about all sorts of things for gamers primarily mm. documentaries about canceled games and like canceled kind of concepts uh but also you know the rise and fall of you know beloved series of yesteryear and also more recently uh the histories of currently active video game series or things where like you wouldn't even really kind of call it a series like the history of just beyond good and evil for example okay mm-hmm. yeah so how much work goes like how much work do you plan on putting into each video? I'm, I'm assuming it kind of varies topic per topic for like how much information is there? Yeah, it's um, the amount of work that I that goes into each video is pretty uh, large. I like I, I don't really know what to call this job. I I feel like calling it like a part time job is maybe doing it a disservice because I really do mm. do a lot of uh work into kind of researching and making sure they get all my factual information right because i know that people online are very uh very picky when it comes to uh the information that's presented to them if there's like even one slight iota of a sliver of piece of information that's off they're gonna make sure that they let me know it uh Mm -hmm. so i make so a tremendous amount of time is spent uh researching it and then after that i kind of try to on a kind of steady basis um, you know, write out uh, the draft that will eventually be turned into the script that will uh, be read out loud in the video. And that itself is kind of its own process because I'm kind of a perfectionist in that regard. Fair. It makes sense. I mean, I think it shows as a benefit in your work and how fine-tuned and how well it's produced. Yeah, thank you. I um, well, you know, of course. I, uh, I'm sorry that I can't give like a more precise answer in terms of like exactly how much time or how much. No, no, no. Yeah, it, it, it varies from video to video, but know that it does take me quite a bit of time. So then how much is different between the script version of it versus just like straight up writing? Uh, you mean like... So, so I guess a better way to phrase the question is when it gets, when you're, and you're writing out your video, are you writing it more as like an essay format and then like, all right, we're going to change this for reading as for voiceover or is it just kind of, here's how I'm writing it as I would read it from the very beginning? Uh, normally I just write it as it would be read from the very beginning. Um, okay. My uh, Eilert, who's like the channel's founder and editor, he will, you know, come in and offers some suggestions uh, later on, usually on how we can perhaps improve it or make it more, you know, narrative-esque. But for the most part, like, I don't, like, I don't write out, like, here is a just, like, 
uh, article draft of the piece, and then here is a narration draft of the piece. I just the the first draft is the narration draft. Okay, fantastic. So, and then from your work at Gamers, that's kind of where you divulge off into the Press YYZ podcast. Is that right? Uh, the Press YYZ podcast was kind of its own little thing, kind of not really connected to gamers. Um, okay. So, like, uh, the way that that came about is I've been, I've been meaning to kind of, like, do something podcast-esque uh, for a while because, you know, mm-hmm. who want, who doesn't want to start a podcast? Oh, of course. Here we are right yeah. now. Yeah. And um, I uh, – so I convinced Eilert to start up a second channel on gamers called Gamers Plus, which is basically mm-hmm. a place for kind of intimate conversations between myself and Eilert on, like, the franchises that kind of formed us growing up on, mm-hmm. you know, some of the decisions that we made in some of our older videos. Uh, and But from there, I was like, hmm, I, I also want to, you know, be able to speak a little bit off the cuff about kind of whatever is on my mind or whatever I'm playing. And around the same time, I also started streaming on Twitch. Uh, mm-hmm. And that, you know, I would say definitely significantly helped work up my uh, vocabulary and ability to kind of speak off the cuff. And mm-hmm. then from there, I'm like, okay, I want to uh, actually make like a real, like more organized, formal podcast out of this kind of stuff. And I, you know, had happened to have met a lot of kind of funny best friends at the 2018 EGLX at the Canadian National Exhibition, which we talked about earlier, and also at mm-hmm. the 20, especially at the 2019 EGLX, where I actually exhibited a booth in which it was advertising what I do okay. for gamers. Uh, and basically we all, uh, afterwards, uh, this is like in January of 2020, I reached out and I was like, Hey guys, uh, I want to start up a video game podcast. Who wants to do it with me? And I got a bunch of people reach out to me and they're like, Hey, I want to do it with me. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. And I actually like, you know, I, I, I wouldn't describe it as like uh, us as like intimate, intimate friends before starting the podcast together, but I all pretty much had all met and knew and knew them. One of them actually had uh, helped man my booth when I exhibited at EGLX. So it was a cool okay, thing awesome. of like, you know, it's on one hand, I'm kind of getting to know them and I'm getting to, you know, grow alongside them. And that's really cool. But at the same time, they weren't like complete unknowns either. They were people mm-hmm. that I, you know, based on what interactions I had had with them in the past, I trusted them and I knew that they could put together a finished product and would be as passionate about me as making it good as I am. Awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, I was actually just listening to episode three before we, we started. And uh, it seems like all of you guys have a really strong rapport, which I think helps as a listener because you're more engaged with the uh, the conversation. Oh, like 100%. I, I'm, I mean, I'm very proud of the fact uh, of just kind of how into it everybody else on the podcast has been. I, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, there have been, you know, and I'm sure that you've had the same experience, but I've had, you know, been in plenty of group projects in the past, particularly in you know, high school and university where it kind of feels right. like you're the person driving the project forward and everyone else there is kind of stranglers and they're not really mm. all that in, as invested into it as you are. And in this case, it feels like pretty much everybody is equally invested and that's great. Yeah, I think that really helps with uh, productivity. Actually, I, I've been on a couple of podcasts where I've tried to start something and I realized for the other people, this was just kind of something to do where I really wanted to make it a little bit more. And that always just kind of hinders, I think, the growth. So it seems like you guys are really getting along quite well. Yeah. You um, Are you familiar with the comedy button? I am. 
Yeah, okay. So Brian has this quote on the comedy button that always kind of rung true to me as being both very funny, but also very poignant. He said that, you know, mm. the most amazing thing about the Avengers is that they're a group of men in their 20s and 30s that actually manage to get together and get things done. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's it, it can be really kind of hard to do that stuff. But in this case, it's really working out. That's awesome. That's awesome. And when everyone wants to make that effort, I think it goes, it helps leagues and bounds uh, with the end product. Yeah, 1 million percent. Mm-hmm. And so you something I want to go back to a little bit you touched on uh, you recently started streaming how new is your uh, streaming endeavors uh, you know this is one of those things where like ultimately this is not a healthy way to live your life but part of me really wishes that I had really kind of gotten on the streaming boat a lot sooner because mm-hmm. the capture card that I'm using uh, to stream with the Elgato game capture HD I, I'm pretty sure and I don't know this for certain, but I'm pretty sure I purchased it in like 2014. Like, okay. I had streaming ambitions as early as 2014. I could have, mm-hmm. you know, been a streamer for six years and I just, I don't know. I kept getting sidetracked. I also, I get you. like, I will say, you know, the software that you needed to use to kind of like get your stream up and running. It's if you're somebody who's going into it for a first time, it's a little bit obtuse. And that mm-hmm. was definitely a deterrent as well. Um, but yeah, I really kind of held off on it for a while. And I would say that like one of the big sparks that finally pushed me, uh, out of, you know, apathy and finally got me to get going was, um, when I went down to San Francisco for kind of funny prom, uh, of mm-hmm. course there were a bunch of other events that were happening around it, including, uh, iGen was having a office party, uh, okay. and at the office party, they, you know, had a brief presentation about, the company's history and you know they of course touched on on the end like hey if you're looking to come to work at ign in the future here's what we're looking for because they know that the the kind of people that come to like an ign office party who don't work for ign or like i mean who are like also like you know just getting started out in the industry are the kind of people Mm -hmm. who might want to work there one day and they were, were like hey you know obviously being very knowledgeable about games is important. And I'm like, okay, cool. I can already check that off because I'm already working pretty uh, astutely for gamers at this point. But, mm-hmm. and they're like, but also you also need to, you know, at this point in time, you kind of need to have a pretty good on-camera presence. You need to be able to right. speak off the cuff about, off the cuff about this stuff. If you're not, you know, very good on camera, like that's kind of a negative to us. And, um, and mm-hmm. that was where I was kind of like, well, all right, I need to, I've kind of reached the point of no return. I need to do something in that regard. Uh, right. And you would think, okay, summer of 2018, uh, it's time to come home and immediately start a podcast. Uh, nope, I got soundtracked a little bit longer. Uh, but eventually, <laughs> uh, eventually in the uh, spring of 2019, I was like, all right, finally, screw it. Let's just start doing it. Uh, and yeah, I started uh, streaming and it was rough at first. My Mic quality wasn't very good. I had extreme difficulty understanding sources in OBS, but mm-hmm. I just kind of pushed and pulled through. And, you know, I, I honestly am going to say, and, you know, I, I, I you know, without, I, I realize I might sound kind of full uh, of myself saying this, but like, I honestly think I put together a pretty polished, well-made stream. I think that, you know, the quality of my mic could be better. The, my webcam could be a little bit more uh, high resolution. My green screen could be a little bit more on the professional side. But 
like overall, I think that I've put together a really competent product in what I do. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that I, you know, you know, I feel like every kind of streamer, which is, oh man, it'd be great if I uh, could have more people watching what it is I'm doing right now. But I, right. I really do feel like uh, people would really kind of benefit from checking me out. I know that that sounds like such a shameless, <laughs> sh- shitty well, plug right I, there. But I think it's what needs to be done, right? I mean, you can't you can't grow unless you you make those moves. I thought what was really fascinating to me is on uh, we have are we yeah we have cool friends. Uh, I think the. I don't know, it was the Ray Nervaez Jr. episode. And and hearing him talk about his process from leaving Achievement Hunter to going into streaming, I found it to be very fascinating because I thought his viewers would be a lot higher than they are. Granted, they're still higher than your average Joe, don't get me wrong. But the the way he talked about it and the way he talked about having kind of like diving into that, like you were saying, the shameless self-promotion or whatever, it, it's part of the game, right? And if you're going to play it, you need to do it well. And what you were talking earlier, I don't think it sounds like big-headed or anything i i think you're confident in your product and i think that confidence is what's important i know yeah. i tried streaming myself and and i wasn't confident in myself there was the perfectionist in me were told me like oh well my audio is not great or i don't have a webcam or I, it's not it's not what i want it to be it's not like everyone else so that honestly deterred me from a while uh but it's it's having that confidence and just doing it and being like hey i know what i want this is what i'm doing uh, and it's only going to get better from here. I, I think that's the key. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I'd say that, you know, one of the biggest struggles that I faced on social media over like the past year and a half, ever since, you know, taking up uh, streaming and all that is trying to figure out like what's a good uh, percentage of tweets that are self-advertising versus tweets that are, you know, just sort of tweets for the heck of it. And mm-hmm. also, if I don't have any tweets for the heck of it, to balance out the tweets that are self-advertising, do I force myself to make tweets for the heck of it? Or do I just be right. like, hey, all I have to say right here is just more self-advertising. And there have been mm-hmm. instances where I'm like, man, for two, two days in a row, the only things I posted were advertisements about what's going on on my stream. And it's like, you know, I feel bad for that, but it's like, I legitimately really do believe in what I'm doing. And I really mm-hmm. want you to tune in because I think that you would be impressed with it as well. And that's the only way you can bring people in. I think as great as Twitch is, if you're a new streamer, people aren't just kind of really fall into it. You know, they're not just going to find you unless you're really making that effort. So I think it's necessary. Yeah, I I think, it. you know, it's necessary, too. And I hope that everybody who kind of follows me, who occasionally sees me advertising like, Come on down to Cozy Bear uh, Twitch.tv slash Cozy Bear Live. <laughs> Tonight on Twitch, I'm going to be playing some more Apex Legends, tackling uh, The Walking Dead Season 2, you know, and so on and so forth. I hope that if you find that annoying, just understand there's a person on the other end that just, you know, is trying to do what I think is best by what I, the quality of the content that I make. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. And, and I think you're doing a good job. Plus, the way you're going about it isn't just like, hey, everyone, check out my stream. You you spice it up a little bit. You use your writing skills to make it a little bit more entertaining, and I and I think that goes a long way. Oh yeah, I uh, I mean, I think that like when it comes to uh, people who advertise, you know, that they're about to go live on Twitch, I feel like there are, there are a few different kind of uh, types of messages that you see. You see one mm-hmm. kind of message is like the I don't give a crap message. It's like hey, it's time for streams, <laughs> which I feel like <laughs> you can only really pull that off if you're like a super big or really charismatic streamer, like, you know, your are right. members, for example. And then there right, are, of course. And then you have people are like, hey, uh, 
uh, I'm gonna go and Twitch stream some bit right now. And it's like, you really, you know, and I I don't want to sound like I'm being overly critical to anyone in particular, Mm -hmm. but it's like, you've really kind of got to sell yourself if you're not at that, um, if you're not at that super megastar streamer stage of like, right. why does that people should tune in? Mm-hmm. And and Paladin Amber has made that her shtick, right? She is, she's put in the work, she's made the time, she's grown the audience. So that's kind of what they're expecting. But yeah. if you're a new streamer and no one's expecting anything from you, you kind of want to, you know, add some pizzazz to it. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I will also say too, that, I mean, that, quality of writing that I usually put into when I advertise my streams. I mean, that's very indicative of who I am. I don't think that I'm Mm going to change that when I, you know, if slash when I ever become bigger. Right. And I think that's great. Again, it's, it's part of who you are and you're putting that into your work. And I think that authenticity really means a lot to people. Thank you. Of course. Uh, So a bit about your writing of Oswald, you said when you were at university, you were focused more on kind of like game development and whatnot. Was there a writing aspect to that or has writing just been a big passion that you've kind of grown it? Because I think you're a phenomenal writer. Thank you. Um, Mm -hmm. To be honest, not really. I mean, there were like instances where like I would have to like I would design a game, for example, and part of the component of me designing the game is I would have to maintain a journal in which I would uh, catalog uh, like all of the uh, decisions that I made along the way, why I made certain mm-hmm. decisions. I would have to submit reports if I was working together in a group of like what each member of the group did. So, you know, actually thinking about it in retrospect, I would say that, yeah, there actually was a fair bit of writing that I did, but honestly, n- very little of the writing was in the style or for the purposes of what I eventually went on to do uh with gamers and with the kind of funny wikis and that kind of stuff uh that is honestly just me like practicing that kind of stuff over the years by myself and i do you know i do part of me does uh sometimes wonder in my head like if i had gone to school and i had you know practiced to be like a professional writer would my skills be all the more advanced uh than they are now and then another part of me is like but also, part of what motivated me to keep writing at home is that it was kind of like this break from what it is that I was normally doing at school. It was seen as like a, uh, like it wasn't like something that I felt like I was obliged to do or anything like that. And I fear that maybe if I had gone to school for writing, it would have like left me pooped out and unmotivated to do a lot of this writing stuff outside of school. So I don't really know. Yeah. I think, you know, so like you were doing it more because you wanted to not at any point you felt like you had to. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. And I think I think it's that want that that's where the passion comes from. Because like as someone who I went to, to film school for video and media and stuff. And there became a lot of times when when you do that all day at school, when you come home, you don't really want to flip on a camera and a microphone. You just want to hide. Um, but I get what you're saying. When you come home and you're, you've been doing the game design and everything, you want that other outlet, and it sounds like writing became that outlet for you. I, yeah, I'd say so pretty much. Awesome, awesome. Well, that's wonderful to hear. Uh, so I guess kind of moving from all the stuff you do a little bit into the uh, the weeds of the up-and-comer stuff, I know you talked about some things like uh, in your last direct, you mentioned some ideas or projects you wanted to work on while in the up-and-comer. Have you announced any of those, or are you still kind of keeping that under wraps for your next direct? Uh, I'm keeping some of it under wraps. There's actually a couple of ideas that I 
was public about in the past. Uh, mm-hmm. I, like, I would like tweet at Greg and be like, hey, man, you guys should do this thing. Or I said on the subreddit, mm-hmm. hey, man, you guys should try that thing that uh, if you were to search through my history, you would probably find. And mm-hmm. you would probably know that I'm probably going to be talking about in this upcoming direct. For the most part, yeah, I'm just going to be kind of keeping it closer to the chest. As stated earlier, the whole point with these directs, right, is that it's supposed to be staggered out over the next couple of months. Right. It's supposed to be like an actual campaign. And I figured that there's no reason to kind of blow my load all at once right here. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Uh, so with the up-and-comer opportunity, uh, if slash when you get it, what are you really looking to get out of the whole experience? Uh, so like, as stated earlier, I originally went to school for game design. And mm. at the time, I was under the impression like, you know, I, if I want to have a legitimate career in the industry... I uh, have to, you know, work in an actual official, like real big, uh, big boy video game job, like mm-hmm. a- an actual like game design director or editor or programmer. Actually, right. editor is not exactly a job that you think of when you come to the game design. Uh, my r- writing stuff is getting mixed up with my game design stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And now, you know, over time working for gamers streaming on youtube i've kind of come to realize and actually you know what this uh these industries might be a little bit more mercurial but Mm -hmm. they are still legitimate uh in their own unique way and you know i would love to potentially work at kind of funny one day and perhaps Mm -hmm. uh this up-and-comer opportunity is a gateway to eventually be able to do that or maybe if not that, it is a kind of portfolio building exercise that will lead to kind of a very similar sort of position uh, at a similar kind of company. That's of kind course. of what I'm currently angling it to be. Yeah, and I think with the very first one, they said they really want this to be something where you can go into an IGN and be like, oh, look, here's a, a week's worth of work I did with a group like Kind of Funny. So I think it would be huge for the portfolio. Yeah. Uh, one thing I will also say, though, is that I do still want uh game design stuff to be a part of my life going forward i still do want to make uh continue to make games and you may hint hint see more of that stuff (laughs) in the lead up to uh the nomination process opening and i'm also hoping that what i can bring to kind of funny during the uh, up-and-comer week and again we'll discuss this will be discussed more in future directs um are some projects that attempt to bring like actual game designing to kind of funny's offices as well okay fantastic i like the ideas i'm very much looking forward to it i won't won't pry too much even though i really want to uh so i will ask with all your game design experience have you looked into dreams at all like have you been with working with the dreams community i i feel like i kind of have to get it i I, i've been very much paying close attention to dreams and Mm -hmm. honestly like straight up uh it's really just been a matter of i've not had just the time to get into it like totally in between streaming, in between gamers, in between the up and comer stuff, in between mm-hmm. uh, recording press YYZ, in between you know my Twitter efforts, in between uh, a bunch of other like real life projects. It, like mm-hmm. it, 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 it's sad to say, but like I unfortunately don't have a whole lot of time anymore to really play video games in my spare time. Yeah, and so it's I get you. and so it's like and it's also the kind of thing right where it's. If I am going to play a video game in my spare time, I'm going to want it to be something that is not connected to anything. That is just something that I can enjoy for what it is. And right. 
Well, I think that Dreams is what I've from what I've seen of it is really incredible, and I think could synergize well with what I'm doing with regards to the up and comer opportunity. I also know that the moment I get it, it is going to become this. Uh, it is going to further blur the line of pleasure and work in, in that regard. It takes that escapism out of it yeah. when, with what you're looking for. I, I totally understand. Yeah. But I, I want to say that in spite of that, like at this point, it's like, yeah, there's there's no advantage to me not getting into dreams. I'm not uh, I'm not going to j- run out to my local EB games and buy one right after mm-hmm. this podcast concludes. But <laughs> definitely within the next week or two weeks or so, you're going to see uh, myself posting, hey, I just got dreams on Twitter. Like nice. that's, I'd say, almost a guarantee. I was. I just. I got it a couple of days ago, and the the magnitude of it is extremely overwhelming, uh, because there's just so much that you can do, and everything really does feel. Uh, the only limits are my imagination, which is both cool and terrifying all at the same time. But uh, from what you've seen as as a game developer, someone at least in that with with the knowledge and stuff, do you feel like it's looked at as like a legitimate game development tool or more just like hey these are some of the tools that you could use to make a game kind of like uh i don't want to say baby's first game creation but but something along more like an intro to it i you know i don't consider myself to be a great litmus test of this kind of stuff so take everything i say with a grain of salt but fair like i do feel like there is when people speak so highly about dreams, I do think that we are, and about how it is this great creation tool, I do think that there mm-hmm. is a little bit of a bubble going on in that I, I do follow the like Montreal game design scene somewhat closely, and I have not seen mm-hmm. within our scene like a lot of rumblings about, hey, like, hey, you should guys should check out dreams. It seems like it's, you know, really kind of set the revolution on the, the industry. It seems like it has like a lot of cool stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like, like it seems like dreams you know amongst gamers and the gaming press has really you know uh been hugely popular but i feel like uh amongst some communities and again uh this is just i can only speak to my own experience it's mm-hmm. not quite uh reached there just yet but you know dreams is, has literally just launched and i would not be surprised if right. over the next few months it really does like pick up stream amongst you know more formal traditional developers do you think that kind of like greg has been talking about on uh games daily and psi love UXO, do you think there's a potential future where we see game developers use dreams to make a game maybe not a full triple a game but like like i don't know like a cory barlock going in and being like hey i messed around in dreams come check out my stuff or maybe sony pushing their first party studios to kind of use dreams I totally think that there's a future. I kind of, I can't help but feel like if they were to have done that, they probably would have announced it uh, a little bit beforehand. I feel like mm-hmm. the fact that uh, Dreams is already out, and I, like, here, here's what I think. I think that if during the uh, beta process uh, and the early access process, Dreams had not kind of generated the uh, hype that it did, if it had not had community members making as insane creations as they did i think that sony probably would have resorted to asking your cory buyer logs and hideo kojimas and whatnots to make stuff with dreams i think that at mm-hmm. this point like i feel like they've kind of recognized like oh the community is taking care of showing off how great of an experience dreams is by itself we don't need anyone right. else to come in at least that's my take on the situation that makes sense the community is doing enough uh internal promotion that they don't need to really spend any extra dollars on it. Yeah. 
I get that. Uh, so I guess kind of following more game design, game development ventures, uh, do you, is there a studio? Like, I know we talked about working for Kind of Funny, but is there a game studio or some sort of house that, like, would be the ultimate dream job for you? You know, this is a funny question to ask because over the course of writing for gamers, I've actually got to, like, investigate a number of uh, video game studios that mm. I... Uh, that, you know, uh, basically I've got to kind of look in and see, all right, you know, what does this studio do well? What does this studio do not well? You know, what's their history right. be like? What are the games that they make? So you would think that I would have a super immediate, obvious answer. And I don't really, with one exception, and this is a kind of very unlikely exception, but I'm going to say it, which is mm -hmm. Kojima Productions. Um, okay. So uh, I don't think I mentioned this in any of this or in the... Uh, kind of funny casino for kind of funny direct video but i actually uh lived in japan between 2016 and 2017 uh okay. this was part of a exchange program with my university and it was around that exact time actually that kojima productions was officially established and okay. uh, I, I actually distinctly remember towards the end of my trip in 2017 actually going walking through the neighborhood where kojima productions new office uh, is located and trying oh, to see if wow. i could find it and unfortunately yeah. i could not find it which is i'd imagine by design they probably don't want just random people probably. going to see it but i did earlier on in that trip um hideo kojima and nicholas uh winding refin had a talk at the apple store in uh tokyo's ginza district and okay. uh when the two of them were walking out uh of course <laughs> people had known about this in advance and they came to get mm. kojima's autograph and i did not think to get an autograph, but when Kojima was briefly getting ready to leave, I'm like, hey, Hideo Kojima, high five. And he gave me a high five. Nice. And so I figured that, you know, I, he, he's like, it'd be one thing if Kojima was like this, you know, really cool artist that makes these really avant-garde and unusual projects. But it's another thing that mm -hmm. he also seems like he's a really kind of cool, uh, intimate, actual guy who's willing to give someone like me a high five. And it seems like the kind of person I'd want to work for eventually. Um, of course, there is a language barrier that separates me from eventually being able to do that. Um, but uh, another thing I don't think I mentioned in the direct or any of the other things up until now is I also uh, study Japanese uh, as like a part time thing. Mm -hmm. And I while I am still very much at a beginner level, it is something that I've done like almost consistently, almost daily since the start of 2019. And okay, so. Like, I don't know where, like, a, a job working for Kojima Productions fits in with I would love to eventually work for Kind of Funny one days. I I feel like those are kind of opposite uh, goals, maybe. I think loose threads of connection. Yeah, loose threads of connection. Uh, but Strands. Strands of connection. Oh, uh, there we go. Oh, ho, ho. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's another, it's the next Strand game from Hideo Kojima. There you go. You, you are the missing link. Yep. Uh... But uh, I, I would, uh, I said it in my mind that it's not impossible. I think that's the key, right? I mean, the moment you put the guards up on yourself, that means they're just not going to happen. But as long as you don't give yourself those, those limiters, I think the sky's the limit. Yeah, I 100% agree. I would say that at this point, like the only, like honestly, the only real actual, like phys uh, physical isn't the right word, but like, like actual really strong force that would prevent me from 
at being able to do so, I would say it's just time. I think that what I've really learned over the past year and a half, especially since starting streaming, is just how uh, little time that we have to do all this stuff in a day. I would love to spend mm -hmm. like three, four hours a day studying Japanese, and it's like I just can't do that with everything else you. that I need to do. So I'm going to touch on the Japanese stuff because that actually that's one of my passions. I took two years of Japanese in college. Okay. Um, and then afterwards, I just kind of fell off. But I heard uh, I heard Andy on a podcast on the Kind of Funny podcast talking about the app Duolingo. Uh, and yes. then I dove back in. Is that is that what you're using to study Japanese? Yes. So just like to briefly recap, uh, before I went to go live in Japan in 2016, I took a mm -hmm. uh, Japanese language course at like a like public program here in Montreal. Uh, okay. Then when I was in Japan, I took Japanese language, uh, a Japanese language course there as well. That was also like a beginner course. Um, and to be honest, I was actually kind of... I. I enjoyed most of the courses that I took there when I was in Japan, but that was the one that I didn't really love all that much. And I would say that that actually kind of deterred me from studying it for a little bit. And then I had a mm -hmm. moment at the beginning of 2019 where I'm like, well, if I don't you know, start it now, who knows when I'm going to start doing so. And so I took right. up Japanese again. And yeah, it has primarily been uh, through apps uh, the, I do use primarily Duolingo, uh, as you said. Mm -hmm. uh, the other app that I use, though, is Wanikani. Uh, which is an app that is designed exclusively to teach you the meanings and pronunciations and um, kind of spellings of uh, kanji, basically. Okay. Uh, yeah, kanji is something I've always struggled with. And in fact, it's the two apps have actually complemented each other really, really well because there are many instances in Duolingo where they'll switch from uh, Japanese words written entirely in hiragana or katakana, which are like the two mm -hmm. more basic Japanese uh, syllabaries uh, to writing them out in kanji, which for those who don't know are like the more complicated uh, characters that were largely borrowed from the Chinese language in Eon's past. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, it's... Uh, the thing is, is what I think that I need to improve on a lot more and, uh, you know, professional Japanese instructors will tell you this too, is that you need to just also be like watching and reading a lot of Japanese stuff as well. Like right. what little reading you do in Duolingual ultimately uh, is not enough. Uh, you need to do that mm -hmm. as well. And that's where the, the whole like me not having enough free time stuff uh, is kind of a factor in what I would say is preventing my uh, self-taught uh, Japanese uh, Japanese uh, learning from advancing beyond uh, where it currently is at. Uh, oh, but, I totally get that. But e even with just Duolingo and Wanikane, I'd say it's been pretty good. Um, another thing else I wanted to mention very briefly is, um, are you familiar with the JLPT? I am not. Not that I think of. So the JLPT is a uh, like government-sanctioned uh, test. Uh, it stands for the Japanese Language Proficiency Test, and it's a test that's held to uh, determine like how proficient you are in the Japanese language uh, and like a lot of like jobs in Japan will require you like hey uh, if you want to be able to work here you have to have been able to pass the Japanese language proficiency test level two or one um, okay. uh, because like the, the test goes like five to easiest one to hardest um, mm -hmm. and I was like you know what I want to I, I feel like if I don't have something breathing down my back, motivating me to keep studying, I'm not going to study as hard as I do. And so at the beginning of 2019, I was like, I'm going to basically decide to take the level five Japanese language proficiency test. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's not like for the record, super expensive or anything like that, but it is still, you know, 
uh, a test and it, it, it it's does a cost a little bit money. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I actually have not gotten my res my um, uh, re results back from the test that I took uh, at the end of last year. Uh, I do not believe that I passed it, but I, you know, y you do better in some parts than you expect to, and then you do not as right. well in other parts as you expect to. And mm -hmm. based on how well I did there, I probably am going to make some major decision with regards to how I'm currently studying. So did you jump right into level five or do you start at level one or how, like, how did that go? Uh, I, uh, I jumped right into level five. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, like Can I, because uh, although um, they do not post online in advance what kind of questions you can expect on these tests, but you can mm -hmm. do mock tests online that people have written in the style of what you can expect from the JLPT. And okay. what, from what I had tried, I'm like, yeah, I if I try uh, N4 level, because they call them like level N54321, if I try mm -hmm. four or above, I would just get decimated. I think five, you know, I would, I would love to be able to complete a harder, harder level of test, but I think N5 is where it's at for me. Yeah, of course. Do you, do you plan on potentially, say say you pass this one, do you plan on trying four, or is it going to be like, a, hey, I did five, I'm going to stick with that for a little bit? Uh, if I did pass five, I would try to go to four. I don't, uh, I don't think I would want to redo five. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, if I did not pass five, I'm going to just stick and try to do five again. Okay, awesome. I would say, I think... I think the Japanese language is, is fascinating. I know one of the things when I started learning was like, it didn't seem as hard as I thought it was. Hmm. Um, I know I wanted like my high school offered a Japanese course and uh, uh, like two weeks to go study in Japan, but I was going to do it. And I had a bunch of people tell me like, Oh, that's the hardest language to learn. You're not going to be able to do it and blah, blah, blah. And unfortunately I believe them. Uh, but it wasn't until I got to college where I was like, this is a beautiful language. Uh, it's not as hard as you think. And it made me really, uh, frustrated with how stupid the english language is yeah i mean it's and mind you you know the amount of vocabulary that i've learned at this point is not super extensive i may mm -hmm. my opinion on it may change over time as i'm forced to learn more and more but i 100 percent <laughs> agree it is uh, a lot easier of a language uh, i think comparatively to how difficult i feel like a lot of the media makes it out to be and right. I would say that also a lot more kind of logical in terms of its structure as well. Yeah, and I think that's what kind of helped me. It, it made it seem more like, like a puzzle in a way where like once I understood the pieces, like everything just kind of clicked from there versus like, you know, like the English American language where nothing makes sense and there are three different words for two or uh, you never know who's talking about what. Yeah, for sure. And I also will say too that... Um, you know, one of the more intimidating aspects of the Japanese language, which are the kanji, the Chinese characters, mm -hmm. uh, like, again, if you look at, if you're just presented with a bunch of kanji all at once, it can be really, really intimidating. But uh, if you have them kind of like broken down to you piece by piece and introduced to you slowly over time, which is what Wanikani uh, has been doing, it, it it's a lot more manageable uh, than you would expect. It's still a pretty... Uh, big uh, thing because th I, I think there are like some like 10,000 kanji or like over 10,000 kanji and not all of those mm -hmm. are used equally but enough of them are used right. on a daily basis that you have to be ready to be able to memorize a lot um, mm -hmm. but it's again not as hard I think as one would be inclined to think it is 
No, and and this is I'll mention this because it was a little bit on episode three of Press YYZ, which you can go listen to uh, on Anchor. Oh, thank or you. Various other services, like I know SoundCloud, and I don't know any else, but I'm sure you uh, do. Yeah. Do, where else iTunes. can people listen to Press YYZ? Oh, you guys got an iTunes, fantastic, fancy, fancy. Um, that you were, I know from listening, you have a lot of uh, platinum trophies, correct? Uh, oh yes, I do. And a lot of those are uh, some Japanese uh, novels, right? Like kind of the, sh- the novel stories? Oh, yeah. So uh, I'll just uh, briefly repeat that story here. So uh, way back in the day, if you wanted to get easy platinum trophies on the PlayStation 4 before they started, or well, any PlayStation platform in general, before they started introducing all the Rattalika games where you can get like a platinum in half an hour or 20 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, one of the easy- Multiple times. Yeah, one of the easiest ways that you could get a platinum trophy was to play through a Japanese visual novel because what you can typically do in those cases is you can turn on the dialogue option so that you just speed through dialogue at like four times the speed and all you need to do (laughs) is you just need to select all the correct choices to be able to unlock whatever trophies uh, selecting correct choices would eventually unlock Um, and when I was living in Japan what I would get what I would do is I basically would just go to um first-hand or second-hand video game stores like Book Off, for example, which is a great used book and video game store. Uh, And I would purchase all the visual novels there that were known to have easy uh, uh, kind of trophies. I would go online. I would find guides that are like, all right, go to this point, select this option, go to that point, select that option. And I would just (laughs) sort of do that. And, you know, before you know it, an hour later, I'd have myself a platinum trophy. And then while I did try to bring back some of the more visually interesting visual novels at the end of my trip, uh, I was ultimately forced slash able to sell a bunch of these visual novels back to the Japanese stores from whence they came. So two things. One, do you feel like at all when you're not speeding through it at four times speed, uh, it helps in your Japanese study at all? Uh, at the time that I was uh, using them, unfortunately, my Japanese skills were not as advanced as they were now. So no, not really. <laughs> it's um like nowadays uh, I'll be watching like for example an episode of Pokemon in Japanese with like English mm. subtitles, and it's like, oh, I actually am like like every like fourth or fifth word I actually get that word. Um, mm-hmm. That was not the case back when I was doing this with the visual novels. Unfortunately, okay. do. You- do you think for those interested in maybe learning Japanese that visual novels could be a useful tool in uh, in their studies? Uh, I would say that you should probably uh, see what kind of visual novel you're heading into because... That's a very good point. <laughs> a lot of visual novels, you know, they tend to deal with more complex su- subject matter and stories and, you know, character dynamics. And I feel like some of them I feel like are perfect in terms of their complexity and i think have a lot of uh easy dialogue that you uh can learn uh easily from and then others are not that way okay so so i mean does it is it kind of like an age thing like i know i know i was looking at getting more um like elementary school kind of like japanese storybooks to practice reading and whatnot are there visual novels in the same kind of sense uh like honestly it's not really something i've researched i would say that like if you're interested in using video games uh as a means to study japanese i would say that like a relatively easy way to do so would be to like 
uh, use a Pokemon game, for example, because those games mm-hmm. are designed uh, to be accessible to both people young and old in mind. And you can actually select Japanese language options in those games fairly easily. Okay. There you go. Perfect. I was, plus, with Pokemon being targeted at more of a younger demographic, I would assume you're not going to have to worry about too much difficult kanji. Yeah, so exactly. Kind of be your basic building grounds uh, for, uh, for Japanese. Right. And I mean, usually what those kinds of games will do, right, is they'll, like, uh, they'll display the kanji whenever there is an instance of that, but then they'll also display their corresponding hiragana or katakana above the kanji. So mm-hmm. like, which I, so like they'll like, helpful. which basically for those of you who might not understand what that means, they'll display the character and then they'll display above it. Here's how the character is pronounced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which also kind of helps determine the meaning if you don't know what the word is. Exactly. Pronounce it in the whole nine yards. Well, thank you. Well, I'm really glad we got to dive in some Japanese talk. I was going to, I was going to bring up you living in Japan, but nowhere did I think it would be such a engaging Japanese conversation. So I'm very happy there. Thank you very much. Oh, well, of course. Thank you. Uh, well, Alex, I was going to say, we're kind of getting down to all the questions I have here, but uh, have you announced the next date for your next direct? Uh, no, I have not. I would suspect at this point, what with it being the 20th of February, that you can probably, you'll probably be seeing the next one in March. Um, I have not mm-hmm. yet decided on how many directs I want to do. What I'm trying to, I, I'm trying to kind of calculate a couple of things right now. One, I'm trying to calculate how much content do I have to make into directs and two mm-hmm. how many directs can I post before people get fatigued of them like I don't want to post like five six seven directs and people are like all right enough enough <laughs> um, so what I'm currently aiming to do are three directs and like there would be effectively one direct per month before okay. May but I wonder if it might be better to have like an additional fourth direct as well uh, potentially like to help further drum up momentum when the nomination process actually opens and now i'm trying to figure out well what would i theoretically put in that fourth direct because i feel like i already have enough content for just the second and the third ones and i'm not sure where the fourth one would go maybe it could be a a final push recap kind of direct yeah i suppose that that could work as well another idea i've floated around is like maybe like a q a direct where it's just me Mm. answering questions from people um all the the kind of up-and-comer process is still getting started, and I feel like I, I get the sense that perhaps Kind of Funny are going to unveil some things themselves over the next few weeks mm-hmm. that will further shake things up. So nothing is set in stone, and I think that everything uh, has the capacity to change and get better at this point. I think that's fantastic. Plus, the more flexible you're able to be, the uh, I think better it comes in the long run when you do get that upper cover opportunity. Because uh, if there's one thing I've learned from my small bits of being in the industry... Everything is about being flexible because everything constantly changes. Yep. Everything changes. Evolution. (laughs) Exactly. From the dawn of time to now, things have been changing. Uh, Well, Alex, it's been wonderful talking to you. Do you have anything you want to promote or where can people be following you and keep up to date for all your directs coming out? Oh, all right. Here we go. I I, I feel like half of this podcast has just been me plugging things that I do, but... Don't That's mind the whole if point I do. Of this podcast. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Alex Cozina, A L E X K O Z I N A. Uh, you can follow me on twitch.tv slash Cozy Bear Live, K O Z I B E R B E A R L I V E. I stream on Mondays from 9 to 1 a.m., uh, Wednesdays 10 to 1 a.m., and Thursdays 9 to 1 a.m. Uh, that is Eastern Standard Time, by the way. Uh, because I live here in Montreal on the east coast of North America. Uh, And finally, um, 
you can catch what I do by day for gamers at youtube.com slash gamers, G-V-M-E-R-S. Oh, and in addition to that, I also uh, produce content for Gamers' uh, sister channel, Gamers Plus. Uh, so please make sure to check that out as well. Fantastic, Alex. Well, again, thank you so much for sitting down with me, uh, teaching me, helping me learn a little bit about you, maybe helping the best friends learn a little bit about you too so they're getting some more information, feeling more comfortable with that vote. Uh, well, everyone, that has been another episode of the Kind of Funny Up and Comer podcast. If you are running for Kind of Funny Up and Comer, please let me know. Or if you know of anyone who you think would benefit from being on this show, please have them hit me up. They can follow me at Twitter. Send me a DM at Josh Biddick. Uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing as many people as possible so we can promote all of the best friends because I think the best friend community is one of the best communities on the Internet. So if we can all promote each other, I think we will all be happier for it. So that is all I have for you today. As always, everyone. Have fun, stay safe, and I will see you next time. And remember, hashtag Kazina for kind of funny. Hashtag Kazina for kind of funny.